Amen, indeed. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord is our salvation. Well, this morning, we're coming back now to our study through the book of Joshua. And honestly, if you saw in your bulletin or you see what's on the screen, that's not a misprint. We have quite a big text for us today. So I, uh, we will have somebody bringing pizza in. So you just uh, keep your Bibles open and we'll be all right throughout the day. I hope you like anchovies. All right. We're going to be looking this morning at Joshua chapters 13 through 21. Joshua chapters 13 through 21. We closed last week at the end of chapter 11 and in chapter 12. The end of chapter 11... The land, that's the promised land, had rest from war. And then chapter 12, you remember, was sort of this this overview, this summary of all of the kings that had been conquered as Israel passed from uh, the, the wandering, the wilderness wandering, and into the promised land as they crossed over the Jordan River. They began to possess the land which Yahweh had promised them. Then when we get to uh, Joshua chapter 13, we find Joshua being old and advanced in years. He's old and advanced in years, and Yahweh says to him, you are old and advanced in years. (laughs) There's something that's to be emphasized here. And there remains yet very much land to possess. Now, there's a lot that's said in just that verse, and we probably could spend a good portion of our time in just that verse this morning, but we're really not going to because what we want to get to this morning is an overview of of all of these chapters. But let me say this. The people of Israel had been through so much. Joshua is old. He's advanced in years. There's a whole history there of everything that he had seen and, and everything that he had done and everything that he had experienced. They've been through so much over these years. There was the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and even 400, uh, four centuries rather of slavery in Egypt. And now the people of Israel led by Joshua are in the midst of the land that had actually been promised to this people. Now there have been a lot of battles. There have been a great period of war. And there was a general quiet at this time, a general quiet now But there remained much land to possess. And you see God's instruction to Joshua in chapter 13 verses 6 and 7 when he says, I myself will drive out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land for Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore he says, divide the land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So basically what we have here in chapters 13 through 21, we're just going to get an overview of these chapters this morning, but basically what we have here is the allotment or the division of the land for each tribe of Israel. Now, there are some specific people mentioned here, but by and large, we have the land divided up among the people of Israel. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to see this land divided up and we're just going to get an overview of of what happens. Not going to get very detailed here, but really just focus on an overview of these chapters. That's why I think it's perfectly possible for us to get all of these done. 
Now, we know that all of Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And furthermore, all Scripture is profitable for us. All Scripture is beneficial for us. And, and it produces godliness and righteousness in us. And, and that's what I'm really aiming at this morning. In fact, that's really what we aim at every week. That's why we're Calvary Bible Church. We bring the Word. We try to go verse by verse and word by word because we know that all Scripture is given to us by inspiration uh, uh, by the inspiration of God, and is profitable, is beneficial for us to produce in us godliness and righteousness. And that's our aim. Our aim in surveying these chapters is to produce in us godliness and righteousness. Now, as you read through these chapters, you might get a bit bogged down in that because it sounds like this is basically suited better for a convention of land surveyors or people who are concerned with topography and geography than it is for people who are sitting in a Sunday morning service. But we're going to look at these chapters this morning knowing that they're beneficial to us, knowing that God intends them to produce righteousness and godliness in us. And if we're going to do that, I think it's essential that you understand there is one prevailing message in these chapters One prevailing message from chapter 13 to chapter 21. One great point of this section of Scripture. And you know what that is? Let me show you. Look with me at Joshua chapter 21 and verse 43. Joshua 21 verses 43 through 45. And what we have here is really a summary of all the chapters up to this point. It's really a summary of chapters 13 through 21. Look at how this is summarized for us. Verse 43 of chapter 21. Thus the Lord gave to Israel and all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's the summary of chapters 13 through 21. And the one message of these chapters, in fact, really the prevailing message of the book of Joshua is communicated there in verse 45 of chapter 21. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's the message. The promises that Yahweh had made to Israel did not fail. Literally, it means they did not fall. Maybe just in the margin of your Bible, you want to write a couple of verses there. Maybe you would write Isaiah 55, 11. You remember that verse, right? So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Maybe you write down Isaiah 55, 11, or maybe you write down 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. God did not allow one word to fall. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12. God is careful to perform all that he has said. In other words, friends, the one thing I want you to remember, if you forget everything else, if you, if you begin to check out now, if you just kind of go into a zone and you check out, the one thing I want you to remember 
beyond the shadow of a doubt is this. God had done what he said he would do. God has kept his promise. God is a promise-making and God is a promise-keeping God. Now, you need to hear this, so don't check out yet. You need to understand that there were still enemies living in the land. There were still enemies living in the land. They still had to be driven out. Not every corner of the land was inhabited by Israel. In fact, God told them that they would do this, but they would not do it all at once, but rather little by little. Listen, Deuteronomy 7.22, God says, The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Deuteronomy 7.22. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. Deuteronomy 7.22. God had made his promise to Israel, and he kept that promise. But you know, as well as I know, that the people did not stay faithful to God. Their eventual unfaithfulness, however, does not call into question the faithfulness of God. Paul would say it this way, if we are faithless, what? He will remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. You see, you need to understand this morning, friends, that God exalts his word. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 138, verse 2, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. That's the message of these chapters. That's essentially the message of chapters 13 through 21. And I want you to remember one thing as a result of today. You might get a bit bogged down in the details of the surveying of the land and its allotment, but do not forget this one thing. The Lord God Almighty exalts His Word such that when He makes a promise, He keeps that promise no matter what. When God makes a promise, He keeps that promise no matter what. This morning... We're going to look at Joshua chapters 13 through 21, and I'm just going to overview it. Really, we're going to go very quickly, and I'm just going to hit some high points, and I want to mark out for you seven ways in which God keeps his promise. Seven ways in which God keeps his promise. We're not going to go into great detail, but look at these seven ways in which God keeps his promise. We're looking at the faithfulness of God. Let's go back now to Joshua chapter 13. And we begin here in Joshua chapters 13 and 14. Basically what happens in these chapters is an overview of how the land is divided up. There was this inheritance of the half-tribe of Manasseh. You remember the Reubenites, the Gadites, Back across the eastern side of the Jordan, chapter 13, verse 32, here's what it says. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. That's the summary of chapter 13. It's just looking at the the boundaries that were given to these tribes, this half-tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, on that eastern side of the Jordan. 
Now basically what happens here is the, the boundaries that were marked out by God through Moses in Numbers chapter 34 are given in detail and expanded on here in Joshua chapter 13 through chapter 21. And what we're seeing is just the way that God keeps his promise. Chapter 13, we notice it there. We start seeing what God does as this half-tribe of Manasseh is given this portion of land, reviews what God did through Moses for that half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, we come to chapter 14. We're going to come back to this text next week in more detail, but I just want to point something out to you. Notice, as we read, the number of times that we see the phrase, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Every time we see that, maybe underline that, because what that's telling us is, again, the, con- the, the con- uh, continuity of God's promises from Abraham, Moses, Joshua, the people of Israel. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar, the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan. We just read about that in chapter 14. Down to verse 5. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. And then all of a sudden, the people of Judah come to Joshua at Gilgal. They come to Joshua at Gilgal. The people of Judah, the tribe of Judah, and we're zeroed out. We're, We're focused in on one man. His name is Caleb. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Now, as I said, we're not going to get into all the details today, but I want you to see God keeping his promise to Caleb. Would you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, just very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 1. God keeping his promise to Caleb. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is reviewing with the children of Israel their history. He's detailing for them all that had come to this point as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. He says in verse 19, now just look at this. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me. And so I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. 
And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you must go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men to this, of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. Now here's the point. Verse 36. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. You come to Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to Joshua, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. And he goes on and explains he was 40 years old, now he's 85 years old, and he is saying, Give me the land that God promised to me. And Joshua blessed him, verse 13, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. The point is this. God kept his promise to Caleb. All of that, 45 years. Can you imagine? As a young man, Joshua, uh, uh, Caleb, how discouraged he must have been. How frustrated he must have been with, with, by everyone else. I mean, you, you know, when people don't get on board with you, I, I mean, how frustrating is that? How discouraging. And then it just keeps, they're wandering in circles, wandering and wandering and going around and around. All of his friends are dying. Everybody that had come out of, the, 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 of Egypt had died in the wilderness. 45 years. And now Caleb, as a representative of the tribe of Judah, comes to Joshua and says, I remember what God said. And God said that I'll have this land. And God kept his promise to Caleb. Do you see how God keeps his promise? He keeps his promise to Caleb. Secondly, I want you to notice how God keeps his promise to Judah. This is the tribe, the larger tribe as a whole. And you see that in chapter 14, but then you get the details of it in chapter 15. Judah comes first in the western division of the land. Judah comes to, the, to, be, to, to, to this increasing importance among the tribes of Israel. He would be the tribe, Judah's tribe would be the tribe from which David would come and from which ultimately the Messiah would come. According to Numbers chapter 10 verse 14, Judah was the tribe that set out first to lead the people as they marched through the wilderness. You remember Jacob's words to, to Judah back in Genesis chapter 49 when Jacob 
predicted a fierce lion-like dominance of Judah over his enemies and all of his brothers, and they would all praise him. And this is a, the idea that the scepter would be given to him and, and the idea that there would come from, from him a king. And here is Judah in, the, in chapter 15 coming forward and getting this allotment, a very great allotment, many cities, wide borders, leading the people of Israel. Why? God is being faithful to Judah even though Judah had many problems. Even though Judah had many problems. God is faithful to Caleb. God is faithful to Judah. God keeps his promise to Caleb. God keeps his promise to Judah. Let me fast forward now to chapter 17. I want you to see how God keeps his promise to the daughters of Zelophehad. What? Yeah, you know, Zelophehad. Look at chapter 17, verse 3. Now, Zelophehad, there he is. So those of you who are expecting, you have a boy. I mean, if you have a girl, nobody will know. Zelophehad. Now Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, <laughs> son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of the daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terza. They approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the leaders and said, The Lord God commanded Moses... They're going back to Numbers chapter 27, verses 1 through 11, after their father had died. And they're saying, the Lord God, they say this is Moses, they say it was the Lord God who commanded Moses to give an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers and their fathers. Read Numbers chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Zelophehad is the great-great-grandson of Manasseh. He died. And the Lord God promised these daughters, these orphan daughters, even though it was beyond what everything else in that day and in that culture would have been, promised them an inheritance in the land. Like Rahab came up and asked for her for her portion, so the daughters of Zelophehad come up and ask for their portion. And God said he would in Numbers 27, and God does in Joshua 17. God keeps his promise to Caleb. God keeps his promise to Judah. God keeps his promise to the daughters of Zelophehad. Chapter 18. Number 4. God keeps his promise to the people. God keeps his promise to the people. Chapter 18, basically what you've got going on here is th there's still this, this difficulty. They're, 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 they're worn out by years of wandering, worn out by years of war. Remember we talked last week in Joshua eleven eighteen, maybe the most important verse in that, in the passage there, the most important verse in the book. And Joshua waged war a long time with those kings. And they're just tired they're worn out, they're weary, and, and the Bible says, in fact, look at what Joshua says in verse 3. 
Joshua said to the people, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? They still haven't gone in to take possession. And what happens is they come to Shiloh. They had been at Gilgal. That had been the the headquarters. Now it's Shiloh. Shiloh in the middle of the land. Shiloh would become the place where the tabernacle would be, have a, a fairly permanent residence, a place where the the, the Ark of the Covenant would dwell. Um, the Ark of the Lord would, would be there. The presence of the Lord there in Shiloh. All the way up until we get to Samuel. Shiloh is the place where God meets with His people. In the midst of the land. That's where the Ark of the Lord remained. Maybe just next to chapter 18 verse 1. Just write these verses. Leviticus 26, 11 and 12. Listen to what it says. God promises, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. God had made a promise to dwell among the people, and here he is, making this promise a reality, putting down the roots, as we might say, the Ark of the Covenant, the Tent of Meeting, right there in Shiloh, right in the midst of them, as the people were, were wavering a bit, as the people were a bit weary and worn out and just not really able to, to, to continue on. And, and it's almost like a revival meeting where Joshua brings them together at Shiloh. And here is the Tent of Meeting, and here is the Ark of the Covenant, and reminding them that God was the one who had gone before them, and God had done His great and miraculous work amongst them. And they can't help but to remember and review in their minds all that God had done. And it's almost as if He's saying, why are you still waiting? God is here with you, and God is keeping His promise to the people. He keeps His promise to Caleb, and He keeps His promise to Judah And he keeps his promise to the daughters of Zelophehad. And he keeps his promise to the people. And then chapter 19. You see, I told you we're just going to move quickly. God keeps his promise to Joshua. You have these other remaining tribes and Benjamin and, and Simeon and Zebulun and Issachar and Asher and Naphtali and Dan, and then Joshua chapter 19, verse 49. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. Isn't it interesting? Here's the leader. This is so beyond what our political leaders do today. They get first dibs, right? But here's Joshua waiting to the end. And by the command of the Lord, verse 50, they gave him the city that he asked for, Timnath Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled in it. God said in Numbers chapter 14, verse 30, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Joshua finds himself in Ephraim, 11 miles to the south, about 11 miles to the south of Shiloh. He could be there and always uh, worshiping in the temple as needed to be. 
For some reason, he requested Timnath Sarah as his own personal possession. And God provided for Joshua a home, an inheritance in the land, the promised land. And Joshua went ahead. He took the city. He rebuilt. He entered the city. He rebuilt it. And he made his life there. He, he would be buried there. God kept his promise to Joshua. Number six, chapter 20. God keeps his promise to provide refuge. It's interesting. Chapter 20 doesn't seem to fit. Just the way things have been going doesn't seem to fit because chapter 20 is about the the establishment of what is called the cities of refuge. Six specific cities as spoken of as a city of refuge. Four different times, four different books of the Old Testament. In Exodus 21, Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 19, and here in Joshua chapter 20, God speaks concerning the cities of refuge. Now, the existence, the importance of, these, of the existence of these cities cannot, should not be underestimated. God wants us to know something about these cities. What these cities of refuge are, essentially, in case there was an accidental uh, killing, we're not talking about murder here, but an accidental death, Instead of, 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 as a way to avoid vendetta killing, you know, God uses the instruction to Moses. He says, if you're out with a friend and you're cutting down a tree and as you swing the axe, the axe head falls off and it, and it lands on the head of your friend to, so the point that he dies, there's not going to become a, a revenge killing. Somebody's not going to come after you. You should flee to one of these cities. And at those cities, you know, the the gates would be open. This is not sanctuary city talk that we hear talk about today. That's just a perversion at all. You understand that. This is a a city of refuge where where somebody who has accidentally done this can seek refuge, can be uh, delivered from the hand of uh, this, this vendetta that would be brought against him. And the elders there would make a judgment. And as long as he was in that refuge city, that, that, that city of, of refuge, he would be safe. And at the point that the high priest died, it would be like the, the statutes of limitations was over. And he could then be released. And he would be kind of, the slate would be washed clean and would be shown to be uh, innocent. In Joshua chapter 20, these six cities are set apart. Just like God promised they would be. God is, is building into this promised land this idea of refuge. This idea of, 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 of a solace, of a refuge. And then number seven, God keeps his promise to the Levites in Joshua chapter 21, verses 1 through 42. The Bible says in verse, 21, verse 1 of chapter 21, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. Numbers chapter 35, 
verses 1 through 8 is where the Lord commanded that. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 8 through 11, we have a reminder of the cities and the pasture land that is to be given to the Levites. Now, someone had estimated the Levites were the ones that were in charge of teaching, teaching the law. They were spread throughout Israel. Someone has estimated that no one in Israel lived more than 10 miles from one of the 48 Levite towns. So every Israelite had a nearby, a man well-versed in the law of Moses who could give advice and counsel on many problems and religious uh, problems, family problems, political life. And it was essential that Israel learn to obey the word of God. So these Levites were scattered throughout all of the areas. And all that to say, God commanded, God promised cities for the, the, the children of Levi, the, the Levites, those who would teach the law. And guess what God did? God kept his promise to the Levites. He kept his promise to Caleb. He kept his promise to Judah. He kept his promise to the daughters of Zelophehad. He kept his promise to the people. He kept his promise to Joshua. He kept his promise to provide refuge. And he kept his promise to the Levites. Now, before we close this morning, there are some serious things that we should not ignore. Will you go back with me to chapter 13 for a moment? There's, there are certain ominous overtones throughout all of this great happiness of God keeping His promise. Look at chapter 13, verse 13. We shouldn't ignore this. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Look at chapter 15. Verse 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Look at chapter 16. I'm sorry. Yeah, chapter 16, verse 10. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. Chapter 17, verse 12. The people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. And I already read for you chapter 18, verse 3, how long we put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. God had brought them into the land. But they had to be obedient. God had brought them into the land, but they had to now be obedient to Him. They had to be faithful to their responsibilities. Yet these ominous Words, our, our foreboding words remind us that indeed the people of Israel were not faithful. But remember when we began this morning, we said the unfaithfulness of men 
does not call into question the faithfulness of God. So just because the people would be unfaithful and just because ultimately the people would be driven from this land that God had given to them does not mean that God does not intend to keep his promises. It doesn't mean that God does not intend to keep his covenant with Abraham, which he said would be an inheritance for an everlasting possession. God said, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. Genesis 17, 8. One thing we're remembering, God makes his promise and God keeps his promise. The prophet Amos, after this, looks forward to the day in which the people would again inhabit the land. He said, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them on their land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord. If we've learned one thing, it's this. God has spoken. He is faithful. God can be trusted. In fact, he should be trusted. He should be trusted to do everything that he has said he will do. And that's one thing I want you to take away from today. The simple overview of just these few chapters. We see God making a promise and God fulfilling that promise. Are you frustrated today? discouraged, wondering if the hardships and the trials of life will ever end, thinking that maybe the work just isn't worth it, battling sin and find that you too often fail, thinking that maybe the effort for spiritual growth isn't worth it. God keeps his word, friends. Has he promised to never leave you or forsake you? Then no matter what trial you experience and no matter the pain you feel and the discouragement you encounter, no matter the frustration you find over your repeated failures, if he has promised to not leave you or forsake you, he will not leave you. That's a good place to say amen. Has he promised to save you to the uttermost? Then no amount of hardship and no hurdle will ever hinder God from doing what he says he will do. Are you predestined to be conformed to the image of his dear son? Then listen, friend. If you've learned anything from today, faithfully endure faithfully endure and keep holding on to that. He has given these great promises to the, and those promises do not cancel out your responsibility. They magnify your responsibility. You don't say, oh good, he's given us a promise and kick back and throw your legs up and just wait for God to do it. You say, God has promised, therefore I'm going to give every grit of my, every ounce of grit in my life and I'm going to go toward that for which God has given me. 
God the Lord shall never fail thee. He thy calls will undertake. All the way his hand shall hold thee. Faithful love can never forsake. Rest then on his own sure promise. For his word he cannot break. Two green pastures by still waters. He will lead for his name's sake. Everlasting joy awaits thee. When the earthly journey's over. Waiting for thee in the glory, there are pleasures evermore. I have often, this is just a practical thing that I'll share with you, I'm taking away. I have often, over these nearly 30 years now, wondered whether or not ministry is worth it. I find myself sometimes thinking, you know, I've been preaching and praying and visiting and counseling and serving for almost 30 years. And oftentimes there doesn't seem to be all that much fruit for it. I was asking this week, Is it worth it? (laughs) I mean, you give your life and and things. What's going on? People come and people go. and... And then I remembered, it's Christ's church, not mine. He builds it on the foundation of himself, not me. He's given His tools and His very uh, precious and eternal resources to accomplish that which He said He will do. And so what do you do? You continue on. in ex- You do what you know to do. That's what you do. Just like Caleb, who we'll talk about next week. 45 years Waiting, waiting. And I imagine he walked up to Joshua with a big old smile on his face and said, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? You were there when I was there when God made this promise to us. I've come to receive the fulfillment of God's promise. And I imagine that that's what it'll be like in that great day when we're called before the throne room of our God, into the throne room of, of our God, standing before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We stand before Him with a great big old smile on our face. We say, you know why we're here. We're here because of you. We're here because you've promised. And He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do not give up. God keeps His promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. This this great motivation. You have given to us such precious and very great promises. And so often, Lord, we get weary and worn out 
And we need reminders like this. Thank you for ensuring by your Holy Spirit that these words were written down so many years ago. That they even serve our benefit today. Benefit to grow us in godliness and righteousness. The, the godliness that, that, that takes one step more. That, that, that endures one more day, one more hour, one more moment. Knowing that you'll be faithful to everything you have spoken. And that you can be trusted. We believe your word. We trust you. In Jesus' name, together all God's people said, amen.